0: y'all this morning as we've gathered together to uh, worship on this uh, this Father's Day and uh, appreciate the uh, opportunity to uh, gather together around uh, God's Word and to offer him our our praise and our worship Um, last week I mentioned Robin Williams uh, another church uh, a church of another religious volunteer has come up with the four hundred dollars and some extra to buy him some clothes, and so uh, that that need has been been taken care of by, by others. And uh, um, appreciate y'all praying for Rachel today. She's not feeling well. So, I invite you to our call to worship this morning. Psalm nineteen, the nineteenth psalm will call us to worship this day. Psalm 19, to the chief musician, a psalm of David. The heavens declare the glory of God, and the firmament shows his handiwork. Day unto day, utter speech, and night unto night, reveals knowledge. There's no speech nor language where their voice is not heard. Their line has gone out through all the earth, and their words to the end of the world. In them he has set a tabernacle for the sun, which is like a bridegroom coming out of his chamber. And rejoices like a strong man to run its race. Its rising is from one end of the heaven and its circuit to the other end, and there is nothing hidden from its heat. The law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The statutes of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The judgments of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold, yea, than much fine gold, sweeter also than honey and the honeycomb. Moreover, by them your servant is warmed, and in keeping them there is great reward. Who can understand his errors? Cleanse me from secret faults. Keep back your servant also from presumptuous sins. Let them not have dominion over me, then I shall be blameless, and I shall be innocent of great transgression. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my strength and my Redeemer. Let's pray. Gracious God, we give you praise this morning for who you are, and we're thankful that you have spoken to us. You've spoken to us in the things that you have made. You've spoken to us uh, by your law written on our heart. You have spoken to us through your word perfectly and completely and sufficiently. And we thank you and we give you praise. We give you praise that you have made yourself known to us as our Father, as our Creator, as our Sustainer, as our Redeemer in God the Son, and our Equipper, our Strengthener in God the Holy Spirit. And Lord, we have met together this day to worship you in spirit and truth. And it is our prayer that you would be exalted, that you would be glorified in all that we do. And it is in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Right, I invite you to take your hymnal and turn with me to him. As we continue to worship this morning, I invite your attention to God's Word, uh, the specific portion of God's Word in Galatians chapter 5. As today, after uh, many, many weeks, maybe even many months, we come to the conclusion of Galatians chapter 5 as we look at verse 26. Uh, That will be our verse today as Paul warns us against three destructive attitudes. three Three attitudes that rob us of godliness rob us of holiness and can rob our church of unity and community and so uh so we address a warning four attitudes that need to be put off and this uh concludes this section or actually it's a transition between the section of the fruit of the spirit or putting off the fruit, the works of the flesh putting on the fruit of the spirit and transitioning into restoring a sinning brother that we'll look at in verse six and so uh Uh, I'll look at, I'll begin reading in verse 13 as we've done for several weeks and read through the end of chapter 5. Our focus today will be verse 26. So Galatians chapter 5 verse 13, Paul writing under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit writes for us very words of God. Galatians 5.13, for you brethren have been called to liberty. Only do not use liberty as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. For all the law is fulfilled in one word, even this. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, beware lest you be consumed by one another. I say then, walk in the Spirit, and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. For the flesh lusts against the Spirit, and the Spirit against the flesh. And these are contrary to one another, so that you do not do the things you wish. But if you're led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are evident, which are adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lewdness, idolatry, sorcery, hatred, contentions, jealousies, outbursts of wrath, selfish ambition, dissensions, heresies, envy, murders, drunkenness, revelries, and the like. Of which I tell you beforehand, just as I also told you in time past, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such there is no law. And those who are Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. That's our text for today, verse verse 26. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. Paul warns us against three destructive attitudes. Let's pray together. Lord God, we are so thankful that you have spoken to us perfectly through your word and that you continue to speak through your word in the ministry of the holy spirit lord we thank you that your word is perfect that it is uh, trustworthy that it is reliable that it is authoritative and lord we thank you that your word is living and can shine its light into the darkest places of our hearts and our souls and expose those things that need to be forsaken that need to be put off and so lord we pray that you guard us from ungodly unhealthy unhelpful attitudes and that you help us to put off the works of the flesh and to put on the fruit of the Holy Spirit, that you might be glorified, that we might grow in grace, and that we might grow in an effective testimony to one another and to the community in which you've planted us. Help us as we seek to display godliness and as we seek to build unity in the body. And it is in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You know, as we read through the New Testament, we see several metaphors that describe the Christian life one that Paul is common to use is the idea of putting off and putting on he talks about the Christian life as taking off those things that are displeasing to God those things that are uh, uh, not godly not holy putting those things off and putting on things that are pleasing to God that are holy like a like changing a set of clothes taking off a, a, an old filthy dirty nasty set of clothes taking them off and putting on a new set of clothes that is clean and that is pure and that's a that's a great illustration of the of the christian life you know the bible tells us the new testament tells us that we are saved by god's grace through our faith in jesus christ we are born again into the christian life by god's legal decree God declares us to be righteous. He declares us to be clean. He declares us to be pure, but not because we are, but because of his grace and his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. When we are born again, we are justified. God God declares us to be righteous, not because we are righteous, but because he is crediting to us the righteousness of Christ. And God can do that and still be just and still be right and still be good because he credited our sin, our filth, our unrighteousness, our uncleanness to Jesus when he died on the cross. And so Jesus died as our substitute, being clothed in our sin. All we like sheep have gone astray, but God has laid on him the iniquity of us all. So Jesus took our sin, he took the guilt, he took the shame, he took the punishment, and he satisfied God's wrath when he died on the cross. And God showed that that sacrifice was accepted by raising him from the dead. And now God, when a sinner repents of sin, is regenerated by the Holy Spirit, turns from his sin and puts his trust in Jesus Christ and in him alone, God credits the righteousness of Christ to that sinner. And so when God looks at those who have been born again, who have trusted in Christ, he does not see their filth, their filthy rags, their dirty clothes. He clothes them in The righteousness of christ we're saved by grace through faith in jesus christ but the christian life is the process of becoming in our practice what god has declared us to be in position he has declared us to be in christ he has declared us to be righteous he has declared us to be clean to be forgiven but that had nothing to do with our behavior that's justification a legal decree But then the Christian life is the process of sanctification where we become, in our practice, what God has already declared us to be in Christ in position. Taking off those filthy garments, taking off those dirty clothes, taking off those actions, attitudes, words, and deeds that are contrary to God's holy will and God's holy purpose and God's good and gracious law. Taking those things off and replacing them with new clothes. Practical acts of righteousness, goodness, holiness, and uh, uh, pleasing acts, attitudes, actions, words, and deeds that are pleasing in God's sight. And so that, that, uh, that image is in Colossians and in Ephesians throughout the New Testament, the image of taking off the old clothes and putting on the new. And here in Galatians, Paul is talking about fruit. We put off the works of the flesh... And we put on the fruit of the Holy Spirit. And in this passage, as he's talked about that, and he's talked about the war that goes on, the battle between our flesh and the Spirit, calling us to be who he's called us to be, to be in our practice, what we are in position. If we live by the Spirit, we need to be led by the Spirit. We need to walk in the Spirit, and the Spirit will produce his his fruit in us. And now he comes to the conclusion of this chapter by encouraging us, To put off three destructive attitudes. Three attitudes that can be destructive to our holiness. That can rob us of godliness. That can also destroy the unity of the church, the unity of the body. And so today we will look at three attitudes that God calls us to put off. Three things that need to be put away and replaced with the fruit of the Holy Spirit. And so so let's look at verse 26. We'll see three attitudes that God wants us to put off. Three attitudes that are destructive, barriers to our holiness and our godliness, keeping us from being what we are in position in our practice and that can disrupt, destroy the unity of the local church. And so Paul says in verse verse 26 of chapter 5, let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. Three attitudes that we as Christians need to put off in order to be, uh, in our practice, who he has already declared us to be in position. Number one, let us not become conceited. Let us not become conceited. And this word, this is actually the only time that this word appears in the New Testament. And it's actually a compound word in the original language. It uh, compounds the word vain or empty and glory. And so the literal translation, and some of you may have the King James Version, that says uh, let, put off vainglory, vainglory, or empty glory, or meaningless glory. It's a compound word, empty, vain glory. put off empty glory. And uh, my translation has let us not be conceited. And so uh, empty glory would be seeking glory for myself. Seeking honor for myself. If I seek glory and honor and praise for myself, that is empty, that is vain, that means nothing. And in fact, it is destructive uh, for my holiness and my godliness. It's an attitude that I need to put away. And it's destructive to unity In the body of Christ. If everybody in the body of Christ is seeking their own glory, their own honor, their own position, then that will disrupt the unity of the church, the unity of the body of Christ. And that's what's going on in Galatia. The churches in Galatia, you know, there are people who are coming with a false doctrine and they're seeking for themselves glory and honor. They want to. Uh, elevate themselves above Paul the Apostle and they're seeking their own glory, their own recognition their prestige, their power, their influence within the church and they are preaching a false gospel hoping that that gospel will cause people to focus on them and elevate them above the glory of God and the glory of Christ and Paul says that uh, we need to put off vain glory empty glory and, and the truth is, you know, we were created to glorify God. We were created for God's glory. God made us in His own image so that we might glorify Him. In fact, the, the Shorter Catechism, the Westminster Shorter Catechism, is a, a list of questions and answers that you can use, that a father can use to teach his children the doctrines of the faith. And the very first question of that catechism is, what is the chief end of man? What is the primary purpose of man? What is the goal of man? And the answer to that question is the chief end of man is to glorify God and delight in Him forever. We were created to glorify God. We were created for God's glory. We were created to display His greatness, His majesty, to honor Him, and to praise Him. But as Paul Tripp says, we are glory thieves. We were created to glorify God, but in our sinful nature and our sinful hearts, we desire glory for ourselves. We want to be the hero of our own stories. Uh, when we talk about ourselves, when we talk about events in which we are involved in, our sinful nature, our sinful selves want to make ourselves the hero of the story. I know, uh, uh, you know when you try to tell a story, you're telling it about an event that happens. You tell it in a way that makes you look good. That puts you in the best possible light, that makes you the hero of the story. And when you tell that story, you tell it in such a way that uh, all of the bad things that you did, you either leave those things out or you blame them on somebody else. (laughs) We tell our stories in such a way that we're the hero, we're the star. Uh, all the glory, all the good things that I do are because of me and all the bad things that I do are because of somebody else or I don't even do any bad things. We, we have a sinful tendency to make ourselves the hero of the story, to make ourselves the center of the universe, to see that everybody else here is around to serve me and to honor me and to give praise and glory to me. And Paul says that is vain glory. That is empty glory. That is meaningless glory. We were created to glorify God. We were created to reflect His glory. And any good thing in me is a gift of God's grace. It's not because of me. It's because of God's kindness to me in Christ Jesus. God giving me that which I cannot earn, which I do not deserve. And uh, and so Paul says one of the attitudes that we need to put off, one of the attitudes that can that, that, that can, can keep us, be an obstacle to our godliness, to our holiness. An attitude that can be an obstacle to unity within the church is vainglory. Everybody's seeking to honor themselves, to glorify themselves, to make themselves the hero of the story, the center of attention. That's vainglory. And, uh, and so we're called to, to be on guard, to not be conceited, to not have vainglory. And the way we do that is we recognize That we were created to glorify God. And we look at ourselves the way the Bible reveals us to be. That we are not glorious. God created us in his own image so that we could reflect his glory. So that we could know him. But we sinned. We rebelled against God. We sought glory for ourselves. We wanted to be like God. And and, and know good from evil for ourselves. We wanted to make a law unto ourselves. We wanted to to serve our pleasures. We loved God the meeting of our needs more than we loved God. And we stole glory from Him. We robbed glory from Him. And we fell into a condition of sin and misery and ugliness and filth and rebellion. That we are so unglorious, we are so filthy, we are so wretched, we are so depraved that the only hope for us was for God the Son to become a man. And for us to behold the glory of God in Christ. And for Jesus to live a sinless life and then die on the cross. To take away my filth, my shame, my guilt. My sin, my depravity, my wretchedness. We see ourselves as God sees us. Hopeless and helpless apart from Christ. I am so despicable that the only answer for me was for God the Son, the Son of God to become a man and die in my place and so anything good about me is a gift of God's grace anything good about me is not because of anything that I've done but it's because of God's kindness to me in Christ and so any good that is in me any possession, any position anything to God be the glory It was a gift of God's grace. And so Paul calls us, he warns us against this godless attitude, the attitude of conceit, thinking that I'm the hero, thinking that I'm good, thinking that I'm worthy. God says, Paul warns us against that and says, let us not become conceited. Let us not have vain glory. And the way that I do that is I see myself as a wretched sinner that has been saved by God's grace alone through faith in Christ alone. Let us not become conceited. The second attitude that he tells us to put off here is an attitude of provoking one another, provoking uh, spirit. It's interesting. This, this is the only time that this word appears in the New Testament, too. Here, two, two words, two attitudes that were warned against, but it's the only time that these two exact words uh, appear in the New Testament. The first, vainglory, combination of empty glory, and this word, Provoking means to call out. And and y'all know what that means. You know, if somebody does something wrong or somebody offends you, what do you do? You call them out. Let's go outside. Let's take this outside. You're calling them, you're challenging them to a fight. So this word means to challenge somebody to fight. You're provoking them to a battle. You're calling them out. Meet me outside and we will settle this with a fight. We'll put on the gloves, we'll go at it, and the last man standing, well, he's the man that was right. He's the man that is good. And that's what this word means, to provoke one another, to to, to be looking for a fight. And so Paul warns us against this attitude, the attitude of of provoking, provoking one another uh, to fight. Now, the scripture we're going to see next week, we are to provoke one another to love and good works. We are to provoke one another to repentance. And we'll see that in chapter 6, and we see that in uh, uh, Hebrews chapter 10. One of the reasons we're supposed to gather together is so that we might stir up, we might provoke one another to good works. But this word speaks of calling someone out to fight, challenging them to do battle. And this word, this attitude comes from a recognition, a, a focus more on my rights than my duty, my rights, more than my duty to love one another. And so this attitude is somebody always walking around looking for a fight, always looking around for someone to call out, always looking around for somebody to to do something wrong, to say something wrong, to violate my rights, to cross a line so that I may call them outside so that we might do battle, that we might fight over this. And Paul warns us against this attitude, warns us against being somebody who is always looking for a fight, always ready to do battle, focused on my rights, and if somebody violates my rights, My right to self-defense or my right to win the fight is more important than my duty to love one another. And what does Paul say up front? He says, uh, the law is fulfilled in one word. Even this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. If I love my neighbor as myself, I'm not always looking for a fight. I'm not looking for somebody to provoke. I'm not looking for somebody to call out. Instead, I see my duty to love my brother to love my sister, to love those in the church. I'm not looking for a fight, but I'm looking for peace. I'm looking for unity. Now, there are some things that must be called out. and In the whole book of Galatians, it's Paul calling out, God calling out through the pen of Paul, the false teachers, those who have come uh, uh, teaching a false gospel. The gospel's at stake, And, and so Paul has to call them out, call them to a fight. Expose the truth, defeat the error. There are times that we must fight. There are things for which we must contend. There are things that we must provoke. There are things that must be called out and exposed and taken on. You remember Peter. When Peter was not straightforward with the gospel, Paul confronted him to his face in Galatians. He describes it in Galatians. So, there are some things for which we must fight. We must always be ready to contend for the faith once we're all delivered to the saints. We must be ready to fight for the truth. Uh, The truth is a hill on which we, we are willing to die. And so, there are some things that must be provoked, there are some things that must be called out, there are some things for which we must contend. But we are not going around looking for a fight looking to pick a fight, looking for every single infraction, every single little trespass, every single little violation of my perceived rights, every, every single person trying to uh, uh, steal glory from me or rob me from glory and call them out to glorify myself, to exalt myself by winning the fight, by winning the battle. And a provoking spirit comes from more focus on my rights Than on my duty, my obligation, my responsibility to love my neighbor. The writer of Proverbs tells us that discretion of a man makes him slow to anger, and his glory is to overlook a transgression. And so, if I'm looking for glory, one way that I can uh, have glory that's not empty is to overlook a transgression. Not be looking for a fight, but to to overlook and to show God's glory and God's grace and God's kindness and God's long-suffering. All these things that we talked about in the fruit of the Holy Spirit. Instead of provoking, I'm gentle. And I see that it is glorious to overlook a transgression. By overlooking transgressions, I'm more like God. Not looking for a fight, but being gentle and gracious. And Peter says a very similar thing in 1 Peter 4, verse 8. Peter says, above all things, have fervent love for one another. For love covers a multitude of sins. And so Paul cautions us against having a provoking attitude, a provoking spirit, always looking for a fight. Walking around, just waiting for somebody to step out of line so I can challenge them. Just waiting for someone to to trespass so that I might call them out. Just waiting for somebody to to say something wrong, to do something wrong, so that I might might challenge them to a fight, challenge them to a debate, challenge them to a war, to an argument. Paul says that uh, we need to be gentle that yes, there are some things for which we must fight, but even when we must fight, and we'll see this next week, we do that in a spirit of gentleness, recognizing our own weakness, our own frailty, our own propensity to sin, our own vulnerability to temptation. And so even when we must fight and we must take a stand, we do it in a spirit of gentleness, recognizing our own weakness, do it in meekness. But even more than that, we're just not going around looking for a fight. Not just waiting for somebody to to misphrase or to misspeak or to misstep so that we can destroy them. Don't focus on your rights. Focus on your duty to love your brother. And sometimes that means restoring him when he is... In a, in a lifestyle that is destructive that is not good for him that is, 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 is uh, permitting his holiness that we'll see next week or, or be able to stand for one who's not straightforward with the gospel be ready but do that with meekness but also be willing to overlook to allow love to cover many, many things many, many trespasses many, many faults have a fervent love for one another For love covers a multitude of sins. A wise man's discretion makes him slow to anger. And it's glorious to overlook a transgression. Don't always be looking for a fight. Don't be focused on your rights, but be focused on your duty to love your brother, to love your neighbor as you love yourself. And so Paul calls us not to be conceited, not to have vainglory, not to seek glory for ourselves. And he also tells us not to always be looking for a fight. And then third, the third attitude he warns us against is the attitude of envy. Now, vainglory and provoking only occurs once in the New Testament. Envy occurs a lot. (laughs) It occurs a lot in the Bible. And uh, in fact, it's right up there in verse 21. It's a fruit of the flesh. It's a work of the flesh. Envy when we talked about the work of the flesh, we talked about envy and jealousy and the distinction. Sometimes we use those words synonymously or interchangeably, but there is a distinction between envy and jealousy. Jealousy is wanting to protect something that belongs to me. Jealousy means I've got something, and I want to keep it from you. I want to keep you from having it. Jealousy is something that I have, that I want to keep, that I want to preserve and jealousy, in fact, can be a good thing. In fact, jealousy is an attribute of God. God, our Father, loves His children. And He wants to protect His children. He wants to, he wants to provide for His children. He wants to protect them and preserve them and keep them to Himself. And He will not tolerate any rival. He will not tolerate anyone who comes and tries to take his children from him or do harm to his children. That is a godly jealousy. That is a godly characteristic, a godly attribute. He sees the church as his bride, the people as his bride, and he jealously holds tight to her and will not tolerate any other lovers, any other rivals. So jealousy is having something and wanting to keep it to myself. It can be positive. That can also be negative. If I'm jealous over my rights and, my, and my, my glory and I'm preserving that and holding fast to that and willing to fight you if you want to take that away from me. But jealousy can also be a godly characteristic as we seek to protect that and preserve that. God has entrusted to our care. But envy, envy is the different than jealousy. Jealousy means I have something and I want to keep it. Envy means you have something, and I want it. I desire it. And there is no good manifestation of envy. There is no godly characteristic, no godly aspect of envy. Envy means you've got something, and I desire it, I want it. In fact, another word for envy is covetousness, which is a violation of of the tenth commandment, thou shalt not covet, thou shalt not envy. And so, envy means you have something that I desire. You have something that I want for myself. And envy is uh, is you know maybe maybe you've gone through life and you've been you've been dissatisfied because you're going through a hard time because you're going through a difficult time. Well, envy is being dissatisfied. Because somebody else is having a good time. Being dissatisfied because somebody else is doing well. Somebody else has something you desire for yourself. Somebody else has possession or a position or prestige that you desire for yourself and you cannot be happy. You cannot rejoice with them because you want that for yourself so bad that you are envying that other person. You're envying what they have. You're envying their position. And, 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 and boy, just a quick survey of the Scripture, you see the destructive nature of envy. I mean, Satan envied God. Lucifer envied the position that God had over him. Adam envied God. He wanted to be like God. He envied the fact that God had the right to make the rules. And he desired the meaning of his physical needs more than he desired God, he envied God Cain envied Abel because Abel did what was right and Cain did not and Cain murdered Abel Rachel envied Leah because God had opened her womb Joseph's brothers envied him because he was the father's favorite had a position in a coat of many colors Saul envied David the Jewish leaders envied Jesus and the false teachers in Galatia envied Paul so we see the destruction, destructive nature of envy not being able to rejoice with those who rejoice but being dissatisfied because they've got something I want can't be happy for them because all I can see is I don't have what they have I envy their possession I can envy their position their prestige their fruitfulness how God has chosen to bless their ministry as opposed to mine envy is a very destructive attitude we see it all through the scripture God's word is honest that shows us our propensity to envy and to be dissatisfied because somebody else is doing well somebody else is doing doing good someone else is being fruitful someone else is being productive someone else has something that I want for myself that envy no no possible way to frame that as good in any way so Paul warns us against that sinful attitude so what's the remedy for envy well the remedy for envy is first and foremost to be satisfied and content with what God has given to me Envy is blasphemy against God because it's a dissatisfaction with your Father and what He has given to you and what lane He has put you in and what what, uh, He has chosen for you and to gift you with and to call you to. Envy is blasphemy against God because it's a dissatisfaction with His provision. It's accusing God of not giving you what you need. So the first cure for envy is to delight yourself in the Lord and be satisfied with him and him alone and to be content with that which he has chosen for you. Delight yourself in the Lord and He will give you the desires of your heart because if you're satisfied in God, God gives you Himself and that's all you need another cure for envy is kind of like the the cure for conceit or self glory, vainglory think about what you deserve compare what you have with what you have earned compare what you have with what you deserve You deserve eternity in hell. You deserve God's wrath. You don't deserve anything from God except His anger and His discipline, His punishment. But in God's grace, you are what you are. You have what you have. And you are His child. And you have the promise of heaven where you will inherit all things. So when you're tempted to envy your brother, think about what you deserve. Compare what you have with what you deserve. And find satisfaction in Christ alone. In His grace. In His goodness. In His kindness. Satisfied with what He has determined in His omniscience. His omnipotence. And His omnibenevolence. You need to be conformed to the image of His Son, Christ Jesus. Be content with that. And learn to rejoice with those who rejoice. Envy is a dissatisfaction because of what my neighbor has. But godliness is to rejoice with those who rejoice. Rejoice with those that God has chosen to use in an amazing way to bless in extraordinary ways rejoice with those, rejoice and be satisfied and be content with what God has chosen for you and what God has ordained for you because what he has ordained for you is what is best for you put off envy. so at the end of this section where Paul talks about fruit put off the fruit of the flesh put off vain glory don't seek glory for yourself but recognize that your purpose is to glorify God and delight in Him and to be satisfied with Him forever and don't focus on your rights don't focus on violations of your rights or obstruction of your own glory looking for a fight but focus on your duty your obligation, your responsibility as a child of God to love your neighbor and put off envy. Be content. Be satisfied with Jesus. Be satisfied in Christ alone. And trust God's sovereign provision, knowing that exactly what you have in possessions and power and position and prestige and fruitfulness is the best thing for you right here, right now and find satisfaction and delight in Christ alone none of these things save us we're not saved by not being conceited we're not saved by not looking for a fight. we're not saved by uh, putting off envying we're saved by God's grace through faith in Christ alone God justifies us, declares us righteous as he credits the righteousness of Christ to our account. But then he calls us to take off those old, dirty, nasty, filthy works of the flesh, conceit, provoking spirit, envy. Take that off and put on love. Put on the duty to love one another. And put on gentleness and contentment and satisfaction in Christ alone let's pray together Lord God we thank you for your word and we thank you that it is challenging and convicting and Lord we thank you that as we come to your word we are reminded how much we need Jesus how much we need your grace Lord, you call out these works of the flesh, these things with which we struggle, these sinful attitudes that we have a temptation to cling to. You expose them not to discourage us, but to remind us how much we need you every single day. Every single day we're tempted to focus on ourselves and our glory and... and uh, Get mad at anybody who takes away our glory, who has something that we feel like we deserve, Lord. We're so, so tempted in these areas. And so we're reminded that every single day we need your cross. We need Jesus. We need forgiveness. We need cleansing. So, Lord, thank you for shining the light of your holiness into the dark. Places of our heart into these sinful attitudes and exposing them so that we're reminded that of our need for your forgiveness for cleansing. We're reminded of your need for grace. And Lord, we see how amazing your grace is, is as you expose these dark spots in our soul, these dark spots in our, our heart, Lord, and we recognize that we're unworthy. And we see the depth of your grace that you loved sinners and that you, Your amazing grace saves a wretch like me. And Lord, we thank You that You show us these things so that we might be reminded of our need to be led by the Spirit, to walk in the Spirit, to put to death the deeds of the flesh, and to work with the Holy Spirit to produce His fruit in us. Lord, help us to live for Your glory with a spirit of gentleness and meekness and with satisfaction in all that you are for us, to us, and in us in Christ Jesus our Lord in whose name we pray, amen all right, I'm going to invite you to take out your hymnals and turn with me to Him. grace to you and peace from God the Father and our Lord Jesus Christ who gave himself for our sins, that he might deliver us from this present evil age according to the will of our God and Father, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen.